This is how we overcome We're moving out Keep us up Reaching to the world Arms open Arms open Yeah This is how we practice Great Well, welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Sarah. I'm Steve. And I'm Erica. And uh, friends, we are in this uh, season of the church's year called Advent. And so uh, we began a conversation last time talking about what it means to be waiting church. And last time we were kind of talking in pretty big, broad categories about the weird kind of waiting that we do as God's people that's not just sitting on my hands doing nothing, um, that isn't just wishful thinking, but is somehow, it's weird to say, like active and restless in waiting, uh, that trusts God to do things, but also is like ready and vigilant. And we got just short of getting practical last time. So we thought today we might, um, I don't know, tell us where our conversation needs to go. So today we're actually going to get practical. Um, and talk about some of the practices, some of the things that we can do while we're in this season of waiting. Because, Steve, as you said, it's not just a sit on our hands or twiddle our thumbs kind of season. Um, but there's this idea of actively waiting, um, not only for the coming of Christ as an infant in the manger, but also for the second coming of Christ, which we've been waiting for for thousands of years. May continue to wait for another couple thousand years. We don't know. So we need to be prepared and and actively wait for the coming of Jesus. That's that's helpful as a reminder that um, as much as church folks or even people who just like to decorate can get all about this, you know, we're, we're preparing or waiting in this season, but it's not just about counting down until December 24th, but in a sense, mm-hmm. what happens in these weeks called Advent are meant to be practice for all of our lives, all, you know, forever. Like we are constantly in this position of, waiting for God's uh, reign to come in its fullness and Christ to come again and how we live in the meantime. Um, so that that it's not just how do we get things ready in time for Christmas Eve, uh, but how do we live all of our lives in that in that uh, posture, maybe? I, I, I guess I want to ask in, in the maybe the, the opening salvo of this conversation. Um, how do you tell the difference between um, sitting on your hands waiting and and active waiting like what would it what 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 would it look like in our ordinary everyday life how how did anybody tell is it just a different kind of sitting i don't know i i think so so if i ask my question that question to myself about something super tangible in my life like um waiting for a pie to be done baking right like there's a pie in the oven and I have a timer set and I know that when the timer dings, I need to pull that pie out so it doesn't burn. Um, you know, and I have two options at that point, right? I can either go and sit and like not do anything and just wait until the timer dings or I can do the dishes. Mm-hmm. And like, so to me, that that active waiting is when I'm still doing things. Mm-hmm. Even though I'm also still waiting and listening for that timer to go off. Yeah, yeah. That is such a helpful image. In fact, it, it's funny as you mentioned that because uh, last weekend as we were recording, um, the kids wanted me to make, uh, we have a recipe for making like um, big stuffed pretzels. And we'll sometimes have like on winter days have like big stuffed pretzels that are baked in the oven and after they've been boiled and uh, make soup with them. And like this recipe, because it requires both dough to rise and then there's a baking and then there's like every dish that gets used, our stand mixer gets used. 
and the kids were having friends over. So I was making a double batch of these. So it was like in the, in the whole afternoon, there were periods where I was just waiting for dough to rise. And I was at, it was seriously the very same conversation you just mentioned of, I could just sit and watch football now, or I could actually, you know, do some of these dishes and then get ready for the next batch. And then there were moments where there was nothing to be done, but to sit and watch football and like to accept that rhythm of there's going to be periods where I can be productive. There's going to be periods in the waiting where it's okay to sit and rest for a minute. That'll help me be ready for when there's more stuff to do. But even in that space of like three hours on a Sunday afternoon, it was interesting to be that waiting took a bunch of different forms and that each of those was was waiting and each was maybe necessary at a different moment. And to be fair, there are times when we need to rest instead of doing dishes. Sure. Like sure. I was I was sick during Thanksgiving this year. And there like were times when I was like, cooking things for my family to be eating for Thanksgiving. And when I had those moments of the lull while I'm waiting for something to finish baking or whatever, and I was faced with that choice, I chose probably 85% of that time to rest instead of do dishes. And I knew that the dishes were just piling up, but I knew that ultimately it was going to be better for me to rest in those moments mm -hmm. while things were baking instead of doing dishes because I was going to be able to continue cooking longer by yeah. taking those rests. You know, it, not to bring in yet another food-related analogy, but um, it, it, it almost feels to me like there are times when... Um, waiting looks like tea steeping you know where it's like the thing that the tea bag needs to do is sit in the hot water for a while it looks like nothing is happening but that's actually how the water stops being water and becomes tea you know or when the ingredients are in the soup pot and they are becoming soup um it's not laziness or tiredness that lets you let those ingredients sit and simmer but they they need to that's how they become what they're supposed to be and i guess i even think whatever our conversation about active waiting looks like that I think a part of it is going to have to be there are times where it might look to the untrained eye like we're not doing anything, but that those are times where formation is happening or like theological tea or spiritual tea is being made. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe some of the like ancient, ancient, longstanding practices of the Christian faith that might look like they're impractical or don't do anything are actually about making tea in our souls. So like prayer can sometimes look like, well, you're not doing anything. You're just sitting there quietly or, you know, and you're not doing anything. You're telling God to do stuff. Well, sometimes prayer is part of how God shapes us. Um, and even things like scripture reading and Bible study and devotion life, those, I mean, it's easy to accuse that, of, well, that's not really doing anything to change the world, but it's changing me in some way so that then I'm able to face the world differently. Um, so I guess I even want to make, make a case for that might be a part of active waiting as well, if it's like making tea. Yeah. So, so that reminds me of a conversation that I had with my husband recently. So oh. my husband is also a pastor. Mm -hmm. And he is uh, at that point of the year where he's doing the yearly evaluations for all the staff. And so he's rereading job descriptions, kind of checking to see like what has happened this year, checking in with people of like, you know, how is this section? Like, how does that work for you right now um, of your job description? And so he reread his job description in preparation for these as well. And one of the first things in his job description is praying for the congregation hmm. and it made him like reflect of like okay if this is part of my job description how do i build this into my like time in the office hmm. like how mm -hmm. do i like 
structure that. And so we were having a conversation because um he he's full-time salaried and I am half-time salaried. So I am only paid for 20 hours of my work a week. Um, and so how we structure time tends to be very different because mm-hmm. I only have 20 hours to get all of the things done. And my job description looks pretty similar <laughs> to a full-time pastor, but it, it's like, I don't have that much hours. So like, obviously I have to do things differently. And I, I have one of those, like, I have a hard time justifying doing some of those, what looks and feels more passive or something that only mm-hmm. feels like it benefits me. I have a hard mm-hmm. time justifying doing those things yeah. in my hours because, you know, like if I spend X amount of minutes or hours in my week doing things like just prayer or even just studying scripture, those are times that I can't do by vis- I can't use by visiting somebody or mm-hmm. preparing a lesson plan that will benefit 10 people yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, so that kind of like, how, how do you do that? Yeah. 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 And that, that calculus of things that look like they won't benefit a lot of people versus things that look like they'll benefit just, I mean, like it's, it's, um, Spock's line in um, Star Trek too: the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. And sometimes in our in our life in ministry life, it can feel like we are constantly trying to justify how we spend our minutes. And it can feel like the things that look busy are always going to win against the things that look like they are uh, not doing anything. Yeah, for that very same reason, especially when you're under the gun of I've only got so many hours to get these things done. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, there's that, maybe you know that that uh, quote um, I've heard attributed to um, Abraham Lincoln, who said something like, if I had four hours to chop down a tree, I'd spend the first two sharpening my axe. Um, and uh, like the first time I read that, I thought, wait a second, that's a waste of time. Except no, if, you're, if your axe is sharper, then you're not wasting as much energy or strength because you've actually got a sharp axe to, you know, when you're actually, you know, taking the swings. Um, and I guess I think in ministry life, uh, congregational life, as well as our individual lives as Christians, there's something to that as well, that if I just sort of go off unformed, unprepared, you know, like you just thrown the, the tea bag into the you know cup of water and you haven't let it steep, it's not going to be tea yet. Um, so maybe the, the part of the wisdom of seasons like this one in the church's year uh, is one where there's the intentionality of let's slow down for a moment. Life, there's going to be other times when you have to move fast or be busy. This is one of those times where you have to think for a minute and just let God make tea out of you. What, what do you think of, Erica, when you think of what it looks like to do intentional or active waiting, whether it's in this season or any time? I'll say in this particular season for me and for my churches, um, we are definitely in in a season of waiting and I'm asking them to be intentional about that in praying for very specific things for the season. Mm, Um, And, and hopes that, you know, we're not praying for things to necessarily get an immediate answer to, but like, let's, you know, let's sit with it. Let's let that piece seat for a little bit and wait and see what God has to say. Um, not that God can't answer those prayers immediately, but like we're praying um, for God's vision for our church 
mm-hmm. for this coming year. And so, you know, and who knows, that might take a couple of weeks. That might take us halfway into next year mm-hmm. to, to mm-hmm. figure out what that is. But, sure. um, you know, but, but to be intentional about that and just to not just, okay, we're going to pray once on Sunday morning mm-hmm. for God to give us vision for the church. And then be like, okay, we're done. Right. You know, right, we have right. a vision. Um, but like, I'm making that my own personal practice, my personal prayer life, but also my pastoral prayers in worship. That's becoming a part of that too, to remind the congregation, like, hey, we're in a season of, you know, let's figure out what God wants for us. We just changed denominations. You know, we, we just came, we just came out of a really chaotic year in that process. What does God have for us in this new denomination as a new congregation um, that's still the old congregation, but, you know, yeah. like what, what is new for us in this new year? And I, and I figured we start that not with the secular new year, but with the church new year, sure. um, just to kind of throw a kink in things and make people think a little bit harder. Like, oh yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. You know, you don't have to start new things in January. Yeah. That, that, conversation as you broaden this from individual life or even individual pastoral life to congregational life seems so helpful as you talk about vision uh i was just i was just talking with somebody last week um about uh how in congregational life sometimes like vision becomes like just a buzzword like you know uh, you know companies Mm -hmm. in corporate america had mission statements for a long time it's like sometimes it feels like we're just chasing a trend and if you do vision conversation badly it can be just like yeah we said once we should have a vision we came up with the slogan it doesn't really do anything or mean anything and then we just Mm -hmm. go off half talked with like uh well the neighboring church has a clothing drive and a food bank we should do those exact same things because that's what churches do or they decide that they're going to do uh praise and worship band so we should do the same like Mm-hmm. instead of what's God calling us to do in this place. And that's not necessarily the same thing as uh, how can we be different or what's our market niche, but it sometimes means at least what's the need for us, regardless of what anybody else is doing. So there may be ways that we are similar to what the church down the road is doing, because we have that in common with mm-hmm. them, but it also may be we have a particular unique vision or unique ministry in this place that's different than what the church down the road is. And that's a difficult, that, it takes a while to do that thinking through. And also, it's what are we called to do right now? Yeah. Not what we were called to do 20, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. Because I feel like so often churches get into this loop of like, these are our ministries and we Mm -hmm. have to do all of them. And Mm -hmm. it's hard for us to acknowledge of those ministries were sustained when the church had more people Mm -hmm. and therefore could more easily sustain Mm -hmm. all of those ministries. And let's acknowledge that our congregations are not as big as they were in the 1940s, 1960s. And therefore, we can't necessarily do all of the things and not burn ourselves out. Sure, sure. And for that matter, not only are congregations not the same as they were a generation or more in the past, but the neighborhoods and communities and contexts where mm-hmm. we are changed too. And assuming that the model of what was needed before is exactly what's needed now, that's a, a, a changing piece as well. So vision has to be attentive to where are we placed? Um, and and if there are way like if we get the sense that our our 
congregation's vision requires, um, you know, a particular kind of serving or outreach that's not right in our immediate neighborhood. Okay, who are local partners that we can work with so that we can be doing the things we think we're called to uh, rather than just giving up on it. But yeah, recognizing your neighborhood or your context is going to be different. That That's a part of the, the conversation too. And serving two churches while they are five minutes apart commute on a, on a gorgeous day, not so much now in the winter, but, you know, three miles as the crow flies apart from one another, they are in two very different parts of the same town. Mm-hmm. And, and so even just realizing, like, as much as I'm trying to get my two churches to work together as part of our larger four church cooperative, like, as I'm praying through this, as our congregations are praying through this, we might have two very different visions come out of this. And that's yeah. okay because yeah. Calvary is not Trinity and Trinity is not Calvary. Mm-hmm. You know, you have different people, different, you know, gift sets and all those things. And so you go with what works for you. You know, Calvary is more downtown. It's the walkable church mm-hmm. where Trinity is up on the hill. You need a car to get here. Um, you know, so, but, and that's Trinity has four acres. Calvary doesn't have one, mm-hmm. you know, um and and so seeing what exactly you know not necessarily one vision for both churches though that would be great and awesome make my life easier mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know if it ends up being two visions for two different churches that draws me in two different directions and so be it so long as it's what god's calling us to do and i guess maybe another uh, counterpoint to all this too is that while there are going to be some nuances of difference between two congregations even ones that are just three minutes apart or three miles apart um there are some things uh that are common or timeless or universal across the church that may like they may be incarnated in different ways but like there's some like we keep doing this we keep gathering around the word we keep gathering around the Mm -hmm. table we um and there that the 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 ways we execute that may change and sometimes that's that's vision based and sometimes it's just like we there's limits on our human capital i mean it's not even like uh we don't have the vision to do x or y but we can't do it right now so this is the way we're doing things at the moment and, and like i think when churches adapted in covid i don't think anybody said our our vision is we should dramatically revise and not have in person like it was no we were adapting so that wasn't a matter mm-hmm. of someone had a vision quest to say we should have a pandemic life threw that at us and how did we all adapt that's also a part of how, how I mean again how you how you discern what's God calling us to do in this moment, um, and that even that adaptive thinking, I, I think is only possible when you're able to to stop, pause, and be slow enough to do sort of intentionality that that kind of active waiting that we've been talking about. I I guess as I hear us talking about this too, it it also to me feels like, um in seasons like this one in the churches year like advent when sometimes churches will have additional chances to gather for worship or prayer uh like we do also often in many traditions like in lent as well um we've said before a bunch of times that uh those kind of spiritual practices aren't for god's sake it's not like god demands extra mm-hmm. church time like it, but that those things can be helpful for us um and i guess i want to say like this whole conversation about intentional waiting suggests that those additional times for prayer, for worship, for whatever those kind of gatherings are, 
is maybe a clear example of sometimes we just need to have additional time put in our schedule that forces us to stop for a minute and look around. Um, and even if the person's, you know, sermon on a Wednesday night in Advent or Lent isn't all vision based or isn't, you know, directly about mm -hmm. this, like just taking that additional time out of our lives to pause and let our usual busyness be interrupted. That's sort of how we do that intentional waiting. And again, it might not look like we're doing, but something important is happening. We're becoming maybe, and becoming I think is important as much as action is. Um, uh, even if it's it's the the big moments, the service project, the mission project, or whatever that gets the headlines, the moments of becoming are really important. I think the moments of becoming are what lead us to do those big action items. Right, right. So, you know, you don't, I, I don't know. I didn't just decide to sign up for a mission trip back mm -hmm. in 2006, you know, because of, oh, yeah, I want to go to hurricane-ridden New Orleans and right. do cleanup. No, like I, it was a calling. It was, sure. you know, I, I spent time discerning that and, Sure. It's a call, it's calling to that mission trip is what started partially my calling in the ministry. Yeah. And you like know. we've said before, when we talk about mission, um, it, it can be real easy to do mission sloppily with, uh, mm -hmm. I've got an idea I should do good. Here's what I think we should do to fix. And I'll fix those people rather than like the harder, more intentional work is requires the listening of what does this community or this people need? How can I accompany rather than I'm going to swoop down like I'm really on vacation or tourism and sort of yeah. you know, use people as my photo op and you know, zip back to my life. Um, but if mission is meaningful, then it's it's means that long term investment of getting to know people, learning mm -hmm. their stories and not praying to swoop in to be the hero. But how can I accompany? And that takes the longer work of getting to know people, which, again, is sort of intentional waiting. And I think that we have to kind of assume because we do not know when Jesus is coming again, that we're in it for the long haul, mm -hmm. right? Like as awesome as it would be. And as I think we should continue to be hopeful that maybe Jesus will come in five minutes and therefore this episode will never air because <laughs> Jesus will have come again um, before then. Like that would be amazing. Uh, but I think we have to just sort of assume yeah. That we're in it for the long haul yeah, yeah. and that we need to be doing long-term planning for the waiting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To me, this feels like this is exactly where, and maybe this is just because it's on my brain, but uh, in uh, the lectionary this year, for those who are lectionary minded, um, this coming, the first Sunday in Advent, as we record, is on the horizon. And Jesus, in addition to scary stuff about the moon falling out of the sky and the sun going dark, tells this really, really practical parable about if you work in a household and you don't know when the master is coming home, uh, whether it'll be you know five minutes from now or the end of the night or middle of the night or whatever, you just do your job, whatever your work is, you get to work on mm -hmm. it now. And, you know, in other words, sort of like act as though I'm working the full shift. And if it turns out the master comes home and we break for a party or dinner or whatever, great. But in the meantime, you just do the work that's been handed to you to do, which is almost like the way you get ready for the end of the world is act as though it wasn't going to happen right now. I mean, you just sort of keep on with, you know, as imagining life continues on, um, not with a sense of like, I can live with impunity because God isn't real and won't ever come, but more like a, 
I'm going to keep doing the job I've been tasked with until I've been relieved of duty. So in the meantime, keep on going. It's it's very much like that apple tree story of Martin, of supposedly of Martin Luther we talked about last time, right? That if you knew the world were going to end tomorrow, still plant an apple tree today because uh, that's good work that's worth doing. So until Jesus tells you otherwise, keep doing that job. Whatever things we've been handed to do, we do them. And churches still make long-term vision plans, even though every Sunday we say in some form, some Lord Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, but we keep doing the work we think Jesus has called us to do in the meantime. So it feels like we've at least had some practical conversation. And maybe where we need to talk next time is how do we do any of that without getting hopeless when sometimes it feels like the church is in a difficult spot in a lot of places and where it can feel like we're beating our heads against the wall sometimes. Um, so uh, next time we want to invite you to join us here uh, for conversation about how to be intentionally hopeful waiting people, even in times that feel like they're in decline here on Crazy Faith Talk. See you.